Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is August the 16th, 2021, and this is episode 2936 of the Survival Podcast. It's going to be a Just Jack show dedicated to a single subject. Today's episode is called Your Mind is Powerful, and that can be... Dangerous. If you caught the live feed of the Miyagi Mornings episode today, or caught the uh, caught the video after it was put out, you'll know that this comes from there. Uh, that's not what Miyagi was about. Miyagi was about strategic relocation within the United States. But one of the audience members during the live feed said something to the effect of. Once you get into living in a city, you don't have a car, you use public transport, walk around, etc. Um, often people can feel that they're trapped. And I wasn't really ranting at the person making the comment, but the concept of being trapped let me into a jack rant about this very subject. That your mind is powerful, and that can be dangerous. Because when you accept something like, well, I'm trapped in this place... And you don't give the mind a command, execute escape, you know, execute program escape.exe, enter, right? Then you will literally convince yourself that you are in fact trapped when that is absolutely not the case. No one in the United States outside of a prison or a jail cell is trapped unless they choose to be trapped. And the mind, as I've talked about before, and we have talked about parts of what we're going to talk about today before on the air, is a computer. One of my laws of life says that your mind is a mental computer. And that means that we have to be very careful of what we put into it and what we expect to come out of it. Just like in regular programming, every programmer knows the saying, garbage in, what comes out, garbage comes out. In fact, garbage in, you don't even get garbage out. You just, the program stops working. It stops doing anything. And when we have our internal dialogue working, and that internal dialogue works in multiple ways. A thought might as well have been said. Okay, But when you say something, you also thought it. So whether that is self-dialogue, whether that's talking to somebody else, you're programming your mind every time you allow it to process a thought or a statement. And like I said, that can be very, very dangerous. And it's dangerous because of how powerful your mind is. So we'll talk more about that in just a bit. I want to go ahead and remind you about our two sponsors of the day out of the gate, though. Western Botanicals is sponsor of the day number one. They have a goal bigger than themselves. I think that's a noble thing for any company to have, a goal bigger than yourself, something you'll never achieve, but you can try. There'll be a lot of that mindset in today's episode. And so what is that goal? They want to put an herbalist in every home in America. It's never going to happen, 
But that means that goal is perpetual and you can always do a little more and try a little harder. And if you want to become the herbalist in your household, Western Botanicals is the resource for you. They have everything that you could possibly look for in the world of herbals. Uh, and it's all either organically grown or wildcrafted. They have prepared preparations, uh, pills, ointments, etc. Or they have raw herbs and raw materials where you can make your own herbal preparations. Check them out today at westernbotanicals.com. Next up, the Free State Project. Now, I said in my video today, I'm not moving to New Hampshire. It's not going to happen. Nobody up in New Hampshire is surprised by this. I said it long ago. It just has to do with the location and my personal preferences. However, I've thought about it because even though I don't want to live that far north, it is incredibly powerful what the Free State Project has done. And what I would suggest is combine your hunt for a new home with a vacation. And when you go to New Hampshire, don't just go on vacation. Get in touch with the Free State Project itself. And they will say, well, where do you want to go? What kind of a, a vacation do you want to have, etc.? And they have people who are like ambassadors, just about anywhere in the state. And so you can go on vacation, you can have somebody tell you like where to go get a great meal or you know where to find a great fishing guide or who knows what else it is that you want to do. And they are the most outgoing, friendliest people I've ever met, and they are really doing everything in their power to drag the state of New Hampshire, if necessary, kicking and screaming against its will into the world of liberty and freedom. Check them out today at fsp.org. And to learn more about how you can combine a vacation with hunting for a new home, fsp.org forward slash visit NH. With that, let's dig into this. I wanted to start out with a quote for you today. Because nothing that I'm going to discuss with you today or reveal to you today is new. Um, this quote goes all the way back to uh, Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. So this is thousands of years old, this quote. He said, you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this, and you will find strength. Now, if I could change one word in this quote, I would change it to the following. You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find power. What's the difference between power and strength? They're synonyms. To me, in this context, strength is more of like a physical attribute. Right? Strength is the ability to... And I know you can have mental strength or whatever, but I, I don't really like the word here. Because when I think of strength, I think of like the ability to lift a barbell or something. Push a car. Power... Power can exist as physical or mental strength, but power can exist almost outside of yourself. Power is the ability to accomplish things or to, to encourage things or to get things done. Marcus Aurelius, of course, was a politician. Politicians are quite fond of power. It's, maybe it's why he didn't use the word. I don't know. But if you think of somebody that truly has power, they may be able to simply command something and it gets done wave a hand and it gets done and the type of 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 power that we're going to talk about today often will require you to do a thing but a lot of it is like that kind of power that a politician has think of yourself as the president emperor call it whatever of your body and you can give a command to your mind solve this problem 
And if you did that, and you were an emperor, and they brought somebody before your court, and you said to a scientist, go figure out how to do this thing, to make this weapon system better, right? Or you gave one of your generals a command. I, I want you to go come up with a, a plan of defense for our outer territories or whatever. You wouldn't think about that a lot more after that. You certainly wouldn't go build the plan yourself. You've, you've, you've given the order. You know that your authority is respected. You expect whoever you gave this to to go out. And now you might check up on them. You might say, hey, how are we doing with that plan? How are we doing with that technology? How are we doing with solving this problem? You might fire them and bring somebody else on. But if you have good people... All those commands are actually moving with power all the time. When you take a nap, it's still happening. right? When we build a business, it works a lot the same way. I was explaining it to my, to my grandson recently. You know, We were fishing on a Friday. Instead of him being in school or me working, we went fishing. And I explained to him, I'm still being paid because of the power of a business. The kind of power we're talking about tapping into today The power of the mind works the same way. When we give the mind a command, figure this out, solve this problem, we then go on with life, and we can't sit around all day contemplating you know, one problem or one thing that needs to be solved. We have lives to live, we have businesses to run, we have jobs to do. There's all types of things that require our mental computer. But what we tend to not understand as, as beings is this mental computer is so powerful that when you initiate something, it's like thinking of your computer running a background function, your actual desktop or your laptop computer. You set a program in motion, you pull up another window, you start working actively with one and the other window's in the background. It's still, it's still going. It's still doing whatever you told it to do. This is how the mind works. And the mind will be running this at that subconscious level in varying ways. A lot of times your dreams are actually trying to solve problems that you've planted and ordered the mind to solve. Right? It's making sense of this. But when you're eating dinner and you're talking about your day with your spouse, there's still that background function running. And a little thing comes in. Sometimes you become aware of the background function. You've asked your mind to solve a problem. You haven't actually focused on it much anytime recently. You see a thing and you say, oh, I could use that. Or maybe that applies to this thing. Now, how did that happen? How did that happen? You know, maybe you were trying to fix something on your homestead. And you're walking through a store... And you went there for something totally different. And you see a piece of hardware that you've, you've never noticed before. And you say, oh, if I take that and this other thing and put them together, that thing that I was worried about last week that I forgot all about, maybe that'll work. How did that happen? It only happened because over that week or month or whatever it was or day that you weren't thinking about it, you were. It was there. It was running. The mind was trying to figure it out. And you just happened to get into a point where it was, it was like calling that window to the front to look at it again. It didn't remind you of it. Your mind was already seeking it. 
And we'll come back to how important that is when we talk about some things that people think of as being kind of woo-woo that aren't at the end. But I want to start out with just how does your mind work based on what you command it to do? And we just kind of covered that to a degree, but I want to go a little deeper into it. The human mind evolved to solve complex problems. That's its primary function beyond like the basic things so you don't die. Like keeping your heart beating, keeping your breathing going, allowing physical movement, etc. When we look at it beyond the same thing that every other creature on the planet's little brain does, what our brain does that's different is solve problems at a higher level. Even primates that figure out how to make tools or something, their problem-solving ability compared to our own is incredibly weak. It doesn't. We're not sure because we can't actually have a conversation with a chimp or a higher organism like a dolphin or a whale. But it seems that they're not even really completely sentient in the way that we mean that word about ourselves, where they contemplate their own existence. They just are. Now, I think there are some... Animals that are way more intelligent than we understand, ocean mammals being one of them. And I do think they communicate with each other in a way that's probably higher than we think it is. But we have, we've seen nothing in their behavior that would indicate they contemplate, for instance, their mortality of themselves at any given time. Dogs are extremely intelligent, but they live so in the moment. Any good dog trainer knows this, and you harness it to train and work with your dogs. I guess the closest thing that I've seen in nature to contemplating more mortality is an animal being able to understand it in another animal, understanding that animal's dead and actually having sorrow. Elephants are, are one of the most intelligent animals on our planet, as far as I'm concerned, and they literally mourn their dead. They have graveyards. They visit them. They cry. They freaking cry. I mean, that's about as high level as it gets in that animal kingdom, but it's nothing compared to our minds. So our minds have this ability to not only understand our current situation, but to fully understand our potential futures S. To understand that, yes, winter's coming, for instance, if we tell the story of the grasshopper and the ant, and the ant is motivated by instinct to do what it does so that it will make it through winter. But the ant can't contemplate this winter could be worse than last winter. It wasn't even alive to see last winter. They don't live that long. It can't contemplate it could be milder. It can't contemplate we might need more of one particular item than another this time around. It can't figure that out. It can't think to itself, if we just moved far enough south, we wouldn't have winter. Now, animals will naturally migrate and, and species will you know, find and exploit niches, but they don't do it consciously. So you have to start from the, the, the understanding that your mind, and when I say your mind, I mean all human beings' minds, as long as they're not damaged in some way, at a functional level, is more advanced than any other mind that we're aware of. I, I don't pretend to know, you know, how much life there is in the universe or how advanced or not advanced. I'm not talking about it. As we know, it's that powerful. And so when we enter these commands, they do in fact become permanent imprints in the brain 
and you can actually never erase them, what you can do is execute new commands that override previous commands. So you could have lived without this understanding and been constantly self-sabotaging yourself and telling yourself, I can't, it'll never happen, there is no way. And you can write new code. You can say, there is a way, I need to figure it out. Brain, get to work. And the brain will take the latest command as the one to be, oper you know, to, to be operable. Sometimes if you've done enough damage to the hard drive for long enough, though, you might have to really, really, really reprogram things. But this happens. And I want to talk about, as it, from today's title, why this is incredibly dangerous. Because the mind does not differentiate between a command to do a bad thing and a command to do a good thing. Morality does, right? If we're talking about, like, should I kill this person or not? That's, that's, that's not really what I'm talking about. Though it's, the mind is powerful enough that if you give it that command long enough, you'll probably end up in prison for the rest of your life. Okay? What I'm talking about when I say good or bad is relative to how your life progresses. So when you say there's no way I'm going to get a better job, your mind doesn't say, hey, stupid, hold on a second. That's dumb. There's lots of ways that you can get a better job, right? That's up to you to make the decision consciously. I'm talking about the subconscious operational components of the mind here, not the decision part that you, you have a choice to make. Once you've made that decision, you enter that command into the mind. The mind says, stop worrying about finding a better job. In fact, our leader, right, the conscious mind, wishes to not get a better job. So if there's anything we can find to give back to the master and say, here's reasons, oh, sire, you are correct, find them. So then the mind goes on an excuse-making, blocking exercise to find all the reasons that a better job is impossible until it feels it's done its job, and then it goes off and does something else. Now, if you don't understand how dangerous that is, it literally means without knowledge that this is the case. You can limit your mind in hundreds or even thousands of ways that until such time you become aware of what you're doing and make a conscious effort to stop it, will for all intents and purposes be permanent. And maybe semi-permanent is a better way to put that because you can always make the decision to change. As long as you haven't run out of one of the commodities in our life that's truly finite, which is time. As long as you can still fog a mirror, as long as you still have life in front of you, as long as you're still functional... You can overwrite those commands. But if you don't, they're permanent. You put it into the computer. The computer is, in the end, the consciousness, right, is the way you have to think about it. Your consciousness, whatever consciousness is, and we don't really know, right? Your consciousness is you. Your brain is the computer that your consciousness interfaces with and through that creates results. Those results could be something as simple as there's a, there's a can of tangerine LaCroix sitting in front of me right now. I'm going to pause the recording, and I took a sip of it. I did that because I wanted to, and I wanted to make a point. I told my body, click the button for pause, drink the soda, put it back down, and click the button and go back to recording. Right? And that all is 
the consciousness using the computer to move the body. Okay? Again, when you execute a command that's going to run in the background, think about this thing. It's going to happen. And you can see this in things that are not directly applicable, but they show the power of the mind to run a function without us consciously thinking about it or even wanting to. Have you ever heard a really great song? That song gets stuck in your head. You can't make it go away. You're singing it to yourself in your mind. right? Maybe you're even mouthing the words or some shit. Like You're doing something totally different. You're actually engaged in something that requires a lot of attention. Maybe you're writing a letter, composing an email. And da-da-da-da-da, the song's going in your head. You can't even turn it off sometimes. right? I'll tell you how to turn it off. Here's a little mental trick for doing that that I came up with. Sing one line in your head of like 20 different songs in a row. So song A, song B, song C, song D, that'll usually reset and you'll and as long as one of those doesn't pick up and become the next one. right? But just think about the fact that that happens. So when I tell you, when you say, I'll never get out of this dead-end job, that you gave your mind a command and that command will run in the background infinitely forever until you change it. I'm not bullshitting you. I'm not. But if you equally, if you give your mind a command, this job blows. I need to figure out how to get a better job. I'm not saying you can just coast through life using this little trick. I am saying your mind is going to continuously work on that and you're going to see things and hear things and interpret things differently because of it And you will find opportunities that normally you would have walked right past. You'll think differently. And a lot of the stuff you come up with will not be the right answer or not be the right answer for you at the time. But each one leads to the next. It, it works a little bit like this. My wife has this puzzle she bought. It looks like an octagon. And it's got all these little pieces of wooden shapes that are made of octagons. And some of them are bendy and some of them are straight and some are what have you. And it's like a mental challenging puzzle. And there's actually a bunch of ways to solve it. You've got to get all the pieces inside the octagon, like a puzzle. And she'll do it. The grandkids will do it. My son's played around with it. And they can all figure it out eventually. I figure it out faster. And, you know, some people would say that's an IQ thing or what have you. It's actually just a different approach. I'm always trying to see once you get the pieces set up to where there's like one or two left to go in and they're not going to fit, where is that shape elsewhere in the diagram by moving the other pieces? They're trying to fit the pieces together. I'm going in reverse, right? And that's just a different way of approaching a concept. But that's in the front. That's in the conscious, active mind. It when you when you put that back end process on, your mind will naturally do this for you. It will change the way that it's analyzing a thing. It when it runs into, think of it like a, a logic loop, where it just like it keeps getting the same answer. Sooner or later, the mind will then in the background switch and change the way that it comes at the problem. And then that's why at some point you'll see something and it jumps out at you as a potential piece of a solution. 
or all the wrong answers actually are leading the mind to the correct answer. Because a lot of times the wrong answer has pieces of it that are right. And our minds are actually much more efficient at doing this when we let go of a thing than they are when we're forcing it and we're not ready for the answer yet or we haven't figured the answer out yet. We haven't contemplated it long enough. When I used to do marketing work, my, my partner Neil would come to me and say, here's a thing we want to market, here's a client we want to market for, you know, and he'd be like, what's, what's their, you know, their slogan or what is, what is the hook here or whatever. And I would just say, let me make sure I fully understand it. And he wanted like an answer now. And I'd always go, ask me tomorrow. I'm not even going to think about it again, but I'll give you an answer tomorrow. And most of the time when he'd walk up to me, I'd go, oh, here's what we're going to do. And he would like, how do you do that? I let go, but I gave the command. Now, again, this is massively dangerous because if the commands are negative, the mind will operate those commands with the same authority, the same relentlessness. And if you don't get a – this is very important to understand. You don't get to decide whether or not this happens, right? You can consciously block it for a time, just like you can consciously stop breathing for a time. But with that, you're either going to become short of breath and decide to start breathing, or you're going to forget that you're supposed to be holding your breath and just go back to life, or you're going to pass out and start breathing, right? So the passing out and starting breathing option is kind of how this works with, well, I'm not going to think about that anymore. Well, you push it into the background, but eventually the mind is going to pick it up and run with it. And this means you have to be careful of some things. And two things, people, you have to be really careful of. Number one is other people that you associate with. If you're associating with people that are constantly negative and using negative language engaged in behavior that you do not wish to engage in, but they're your friends so you like them, let me explain to you a couple things that are going to happen. First of all, the things they say and do are going to go into your mind, and they are going to act like commands, even though they don't come from you. And the computer will say, do you want me to execute this? Or do you want to give, since, since it's like being in a meeting and you're the CEO and somebody that's at a director's level says, we should do this. And everybody kind of looks at you like, are you going to agree? Are you going to object? Are you going to remain silent? And if you remain silent, people just assume, hey, Bill's the director. He said to do this. Jack didn't say anything. Do what Bill says. Right? So that's the first thing that's going to happen. But there's something far more insidious that's going to happen. You're going to actually justify the behavior or the statement in some way, even if you disagree with it, by saying, but, you know, it's, it's, it's Bill, and I like Bill. Ah, we can let Bill have some leeway in it. And I'm not turn, saying turn into a prude, you know, uh, banish all your friends in, into nothingville or whatever. What I'm saying is when you have people in your life that are inherently negative and engaged in negative behaviors, you need to limit your contact with them because every second you spend with them, you are damaging your own capabilities. It is that serious. The other thing you have to be very careful with is the content that you consume. And when you're consuming content that is completely and totally fictitious, that's fine. You need to consciously think about that, though. You need to tell your brain, this is not real. If you don't, your brain will assume that it's real. Again, you're back to sitting at the head of the table at a board meeting 
But if you remain silent, everybody thinks you've implicitly approved what's said. If you want to take control of the situation, you have to say, Bill's a moron. He's a pretty good director of whatever, but in this case, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We absolutely will not be doing that, Bill. Now, you may not want to be that harsh in an actual board meeting. Maybe you do. It all depends. But let me tell you, when you're dealing with your own mind, you have to be that harsh. This is why, like, if I'm watching, like, a crime show or something, something really stupid happens, I actually say, at least internally, if not verbally, that's stupid, that would never happen. Part of it is just, I've noticed it, and I'm that guy. But the other part of it is, I don't want my brain to assume that this is possible, right? I don't want it to ever take that in and, and let any piece of it be real. And it's really important because, again, this is dangerous because, okay, look at it this way. If I give you, I was going to say a gun, but we need something that's a little bit more dangerous than even a gun. Let's say we could make a real lightsaber. And, like, what was his name? Darth Sidious, the guy that had, like, the two, two lightsaber, lightsaber blade came out of both ends, like a staff, right? It's like that. And you push a button, and one or both sides come out of this thing. And if it's pointed at something, it goes right through it. Right? If you give that to a person, and they walk around with it, playing with it, screwing around with it, and don't know what it does, it still does what it does. And when you push that button, and you happen to have it pointed at your own guts, you kill yourself, right? So we wouldn't give somebody something like a gun or a lightsaber or a really super sharp knife or let somebody drive a car that didn't understand what a car was and how it works. The, the computer that is your brain is more powerful than any of those things. And it's like walking around with loaded guns and not knowing what guns do. And the gun is going to function the way it was designed. But at least when you pull the trigger the first time and it goes off, hopefully you didn't kill anybody or hurt anybody, but you see it. And you're like, oh shit, this thing's dangerous. And you think differently. The mind can misfire all at once. And until you become aware of it, it just keeps happening. And you have no idea the damage you're doing to your life and the lives of other people until you get a hold of this. And so you've got to be careful of the people you're around, the content you consume. And you either harness this power or it harms you. Again, you don't have a choice in this as to whether or not it's there. Do you understand? I mean, it's so, it, it, to me, this is one of those things, like, I get it, but it's a little bit difficult to explain. You don't get to decide whether your mental computer runs programs in the background or not. The only thing you get to decide is what those programs are. And you have to be mindful at all times of this, or it's going to run junk. It's going to run garbage, and it's going to produce results based on that. And the way that we have to harness this power is to consciously determine everything in our life that we would like to be better and give the command to make those things better, to find solutions. And we can only get this computer working for us by occupying it with so many things that are for the positive. And it knows that, think again, back to kind of a, a hierarchy in a company. 
if I if I'm the CEO of a company and I say to you, hey Tom, I want your priority one to be this, I want your priority two to be that, and I want your priority three to be this. And you say, well, great, but but uh, Mike, who I work for, said that, that this other thing is supposed to be my priority one. And I tell you, screw Mike. I run a company. I just told you what I want done. You're going to tell Mike to go screw. You're going to say, I can put this in fourth priority. You have a problem with that. Go talk to Jack. Because when a CEO of the company tells me something... Even if there's a chain of command, I'm sorry, I'm listening to Jack. If you want to argue with Jack, you and if you and if Jack comes back and tells me or communicates to me that he agrees with you now, that's fine. But until such time, I know who signs the paychecks here. I'm listening to Jack because that's what he said he wanted, right? Now, a good CEO wouldn't do that, but in this game, you have to be that guy. You have to give the priorities to all the the positive things because you'll never keep all the negative things out. You'll never do it. The human being is not capable of only being positive. There will be negative thoughts. There will be negative actions. There will be negative inputs. And so the only way you can really harness the power of your brain and not let it harm you is to give priority. And the things that are consciously given priority Get priority the same way you'd listen to the owner of a company before you'd listen to some mid-level manager. Even if that mid-level manager was your manager. If I said, you know what, screw him. He can bitch all he wants to you about this. I, this is my priority right now. If he gives you any shit, let me know. What are you going to do? This is how your mind works. okay? And I mean, in that real world environment, of course I should go to Mike and say, Mike, shut up. This is what I want your people doing. But I might also tell you, look, if he doesn't do his job, this is what I want. Until you hear different from me, this is what I want you to do. That's how you have to control your mind. And if you don't do it that way, you're screwed. You will be harmed by yourself. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how the world that we think of is scientific and the world that we think kind of is like woo-woo, right, spiritual woo-woo, maybe don't have the clean-cut, absolute line between them that we think that they do. I do think there's a line, and I do think there are things that are clearly on one side of the line and one things that are on the other side of the line. I'll say my thoughts for um, uh, Law of Attraction for a little bit later, but... I think if you believe in the law of attraction, meaning that if I just see myself holding a gold bar, one day a gold bar will show up, you don't understand a law of attraction. And I think that's on one side of the line. I do think that the line, though, is maybe wider and blurrier than a clean, thin, perfect line that we could just say, woo-woo, science. Anything with this much power, until it's fully understood, and I'm telling you right now, we do not fully understand the human mind. We're not even close to fully understanding our own mental capability. We're back to any sufficiently advanced technology will appear as magic to someone who doesn't have it. If, if I, you know, when, when the, the Spanish conquistadors came to the New World, the natives thought they were gods 
Because they had things like armor and swords and rode on horses and shit, right? Like, and they were a different color or whatever. Like, they didn't even really have that much. They had, they had primitive firearms. They didn't have that much more advanced technology. But they thought they were gods. Can you imagine if, if you were to go back in time with simple devices we use every day, what people would think of you? So what happens is there are certain things that we unlock in our minds. And if we don't fully understand how that unlocking occurs, we will attribute it to spirituality or faith or something like that. And we don't really understand it. Here's an example. There are monks that can go into the mountains of Tibet when the snow's on the ground and sit in a circle and enter a trance-like state, and heat up their bodies until steam starts pouring off of their bodies, and the snow around them melts, and they're not cold. And that looks very metaphysical. It looks very spiritual. It looks like magic. It looks like, you know what? This must be a scam. These monks are scam artists. It's not. We do not fully understand how they do it, and neither do they. They don't, they don't fully understand. They know what they're doing, but how it actually happens, they don't really know. So it can be attributed to God or spirit or some sort of woo-woo, right? But it doesn't mean that it's actually outside of us. So I want to move on to like why this is important with something like the law of attraction. I'm going to tell you how I think. Now, I don't pretend to know everything, but how I feel The law of attraction works. You decide you want something. I want to start a business. I want to have more money. I want to be in better shape. Whatever it is. And you use some form of the law of attraction formula. Uh, saying it to yourself ten times a day. Thinking about it. Writing down a goal. Whatever it is. Visualizing yourself. Having it. Whatever you do. It almost doesn't matter. What happens is... Your level of awareness to anything that pertains to this goal skyrockets and goes up. And it could be simple or it could be complex. Here would be a very simple version. I, I've heard law of attraction people say shit like, you can literally manifest a parking place for yourself at a shopping mall during Christmas time and get a closer parking spot. This is nonsense. That's, that, that belief that you can manifest it is way past the blurry part of the line and way over in left field in La La Land. There is or there is not a space to park your car. However, you could be engaged in this exercise, believe in this exercise, and somebody somewhere from the corner of your eye is walking in a way that reaches a part of your mind, your spirit, your soul, whatever you want to call it, your consciousness, your subconscious, someplace inside of you that has the ability to determine the way this person's walking is telling me two things. They're leaving, and their car's not far from them, and they're close to the door I want to go in. With no understanding that you just, uh, you, you just figured that out. Instead of going right, you go left and up, and there's the person getting in their car and backing out, and you pull in, and you think you manifested it. The law of attraction actually worked just not the way that you think it did. 
by being in a state of this heightened awareness and the background programming running, you picked up on a minute, seemingly meaningless detail that otherwise you wouldn't have seen. You might have made that left, right? You might have, but you might, might also have gone right. You might have saw somebody else that more obviously was leaving, but they were just going back to their car because they forgot their list. But that piece of you that is hyper-aware, you picked up on something that normally you just wouldn't have picked up on. Maybe if you were looking right at the person and trying to figure out who it was, you wouldn't have been able to do it. But because you were in a different, altered state of consciousness, you were able to do it without even realizing it. Any sufficiently advanced technology would appear as magic to someone that was not aware of it. So all of a sudden you think you've made some magical thing happen. All you've done is tune into your own capabilities. And this, if that can happen that way, and it can, then what also can happen is you see three things at three different times totally separated by space and time. None of them seem like they are connected to how you're going to start a business. But because you are trying to attract to yourself opportunities to start a business... The background process, when it picks up the third and final piece, connects back to the other two that you didn't even know you looked at. And all of a sudden, you start to form a plan. And again, that plan might be a good plan, it might be a bad plan, but it's part of the process to getting to where you want to be. If you simply say, I want to become more wealthy, then you're going to start seeing opportunities to acquire wealth everywhere. Very quickly, you're going to get to the point where you realize that finding opportunities for wealth isn't the problem. Choosing the right ones to work on, because there's way too many to work on all of them, is the actual problem. And that'll go to this level with people and how they think and how they approach life. If you have two people and they walk a mile down a road side by side, And one of those people has done this exercise and they're looking to acquire more wealth. I guarantee you in a one-mile walk down a random street, that person is going to pick up on probably a dozen or more things that will trigger a thought of, there's a way I could acquire wealth with this. A person standing right next to him who claims to wish to be wealthy, who has not done this exercise... Both of them with 20-20 vision, looking in the exact same places and see all the same shit, will end that journey and their life will still not have anything new toward the acquisition of wealth added to it, even though they both took in the same material. Because one was in a heightened, hyper state of awareness and the other one wasn't. And this is how you train your mind to think. If you look at people that are successful, they all do this. They all have different ways that maybe they'll explain it, but when you look at the basic process, it's always the same. There is no such thing as, I can't do this. There is only, I could do this, this is what it would take, and it is or isn't worth doing. And that is incredibly important that you stay hyper-aware of that as well. If I catch myself saying something like, oh, I could never do that or that'll probably never happen, I always kind of rewind, hit like a stop process button, go through it again and make sure that I am aware there are ways to do it. If I want to grow coffee in Texas on my property right here, which is harsh 
and goes below freezing at times and coffee doesn't live, it is easy to say, well, I'm not going to grow coffee here. You can't do it. That's a dumb statement. I'm not going to grow coffee here, but I could do it if I invested tens of thousands of dollars in a climate-controlled greenhouse to get a very small yield, but it could be done. Possibly there's a way to genetically modify coffee so that it can exist in colder climates. If you grew enough coffee beans from seed, you know, enough coffee from seed long enough, maybe you'd find that there's ways to do it. It's probably not worth my time. I don't care that much, and I don't want to spend that much time and money. But I want to acknowledge it could be done. And if I don't do that, I'm training my mind to accept the negative. It can't be done. And so what I'm more likely to do, even if I know this, even if I'm conscious of this, even if I make the effort, if I don't grab on to negative thoughts at times and turn them around, I'm training my mind. It's okay to accept them. I, in fact, it might be more dangerous because my mind is like, he means his shit. I mean, he's always telling me what he wants me to do. And he's always pretty clear about it. So he must mean this negative thing, even though he doesn't usually do negative things. Right? He's a competent CEO. He said to do it, I'm going to go do it. That's how the brain works. So we really have to grab onto this. And that's why I even bothered having the discussion about the seemingly woo-woo things like law of attraction. I'm going to tell you it works a lot. Like if you've ever heard of somebody who's called a mentalist, they look like a magician, but they're really not. They can go and they can do a psychic reading and they'll tell you it's not really a psychic reading. They'll go into a room and like, you know, they'll do the same thing like a supposed psychic who's actually a mentalist does. And they'll tell a person, yo, you had an uncle or was it an uncle? His name was Tim. Tim, you had a Tim in your life, didn't you? Yeah, and he's gone now, yeah. And like, they'll figure out by what they're saying and reading the room who to call on, who to say that that applies to. And they'll do it so well that even when they reveal to the person they did it, look, I didn't know any of that shit. Here's how I did They won't. The person sometimes won't believe them. They'll think, oh, you're just, you're downplaying it. You really are psychic. Okay? That capability, a mentalist capability to notice things, a Sherlock Holmes-like sense of awareness, we all have access to it. And when we turn it on through what we call the law of attraction, it's running as a background process. And really need to understand that. I think everyone, at any time in your life, should have a list of ten things you're trying to solve. Some of them might stay on your list for your entire life. I'd like more wealth. You know? I'd like more free time. I don't know. But at least half of them should change occasionally. And they can be things that are really important. And they can be things that yeah, I'd be nice to know. But I, I think we should all have at least 10 things that we're consciously working on. And when I say conscious, I don't mean that we're walking around reading a list 10 times a day. If that's what you need to do to get in this state, fine. What I mean is that we have actually made the command. I want to know how to X, Y, Z. How do we do it? Computer, solve this problem for me. And occasionally revisit it consciously. And there should be at least 10 things. Some of us, we have a natural inclination toward this, plus we've worked on it, that 10 is child's play. But I think the average person, if you just switch on 10 things that would make your life better if you cracked it, your life will get better. 
And this is why people can sell a book on the law of attraction and have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of fans that say, Guru Saj, his stuff works. I, have my, you know, I haven't gotten everything I wanted, but my life has gotten so much better. And you think that person's full of shit? They're not. They're misled, but they're not full of shit. Their life did get better. Possibly a hundred times better. Possibly Guru Saj, whoever he is, I made him up, right? Earned his $24.95 for that book. Even if he's being a misleading asshole. Even if he knows what he's doing, consciously. Because if the guy got more than $25 bucks worth of value out of the book, then isn't it a good exchange of value for value? It's just in the, in the case of me telling you this, I'm telling you how it works. I'm telling you why it works. I'm not misleading you with some kind of uh, metaphysical mumbo-jumbo. And I'm telling you, this works better than goal-setting and positive affirmations and what have you. Let me explain one of the problems with, with, let's say, uh, positive affirmation. Right? I am wealthy. You say this over and over and over again. Soon you believe it, and then you act like someone who's wealthy. Maybe, to a degree. But you know what else you're doing? Now you're telling your computer, you don't need to work on wealth anymore. We're already wealthy. You feel better, but you don't necessarily take the actions to become a wealthy person. Think about it. Like, if you're physically fit, and you actually are physically fit, you do enough work to stay fit. When you're fat and you need to get physically fit, And you get the impetus under you. You work really hard. You weigh yourself every day. You know, if you walk by the mirror every day and you're in good shape, you really are, and you look at yourself, yeah, I'm good. You're, you don't have as much impetus for it. And that's something you do have to still work on, right? But if you're, if I gave you right now, somehow I got stupid rich and I picked one, I, I ended up with like 50 billion bucks. And I picked one person out of this audience and I, I wrote you a check for a billion dollars. And then you actually thought, well, maybe the check's good. You went to the bank, and, and, and you turned out it was. And after you got up off the floor from passing out and realized that you actually owned a billion dollars, most people, because they're not sociopaths, would feel like, that's enough money for me, my kids, my grandkids, and my great-grandkids, and probably beyond that. And I don't need any more money. So you wouldn't go try to become Bezos or Elon Musk or whatever. You'd stop worrying about money for the rest of your life. You would no longer seek money, right? And if you're smart, you'd put yourself on some kind of allowance so that you didn't screw your life up too much. But then like that question, how do I get more wealth, would go away because you don't need to do it. When you give yourself positive affirmations as though you've already achieved something that you have not achieved, on some level you're shutting down effort toward attaining them. Poor people when they are sufficiently in the right mindset, have a tendency to become richer, faster than people born into middle-class levels of income with good, stable jobs. Why? Because the person that's middle-class with a good, stable job that has reasonable income has not just comfort, but can create for themselves the delusion that they're wealthy. They can join the country club, they can buy a Lexus, whatever, and they might be damn near broke all the time. They have high cash flow, but they don't have high underlying wealth. But they believe they're wealthy, so why try? 
right? Now, the, the poor person eating his fifth pack of ramen this week and saving up so he can afford stovetop stuffing and a piece of chicken on Friday is acutely aware of the fact that he is poor. He's acutely aware that if I sit around and say, I am wealthy, I am lying to myself. It is much more difficult for that person to delude themselves. But if they come across this mindset and they say, I want to be wealthy, they will then take the action. Because I got it. I got to do it. I can't live like this for the rest of my life, and I don't have to. So it's often the case the rags-to-riches story is more common than the comfortable-to-riches story. That doesn't mean it's you're, you're benefited by being poor. The person that's middle class actually has a faster path if they choose to initiate it and use it and take it because they have more to start with. But they can convince themselves that means they have more to lose. So then they can talk themselves out of success. This is real stuff, guys. And goal-setting, positive affirmations, they're okay for what they are, but they're nowhere near as, 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 as useful as specifically stating, this is what I want, and asking your mind, how do I get it? The goal-setting is better than the affirmation. The goal-setting leads to planning. The goal-setting is something that works for some people because... What people say is like it's been proven that people write down a plan are more likely to achieve it than people that don't. I, I think across the average, that's true. Not everybody works the same, though. I'm the kid that sat in school, didn't look like he was paying attention, took no notes, and got A's on a test. Why? That's how my mind works. That's a, So sitting down and writing goals for me doesn't really help me very much. Running through goals in my head on the fly helps me a lot more. I don't do a lot of written planning. I'm not that guy. I'm an ESTP on the Myers-Briggs personality test. I think big picture. I don't, I don't like getting drugged down into details. That's why whenever I've had anything business-wise that requires a detailed uh, approach, I hire somebody that has that strength. Right. So I'm not going to be the person that's going to be sitting down writing down my goals every day. I'm going to go through my goals while I'm freaking walking the dog, right? I'm, uh, I'm flipping in between channels, and in between the channels, I'm thinking this way. So if you don't do that, then maybe goal setting is good, but the goal should be attached to one of those ten problems. And it should be at least ten problems. It could be more. But the positive affirmation, I actually consider positive affirmations a negative, Unless you're so depressed you need it to get out of depression, I guess. Otherwise, I think what they do is they shut off the desire to actually achieve what you claim that you have. And I also have to add this here at the end. And this goes back to kind of an internet marketing sales type guru guy who didn't have everything right, but he had a few things right that I really learned from and never forgot. And one time he was talking about pricing your product. And this guy sold, like I do, mostly information. He didn't sell physical product. So if you can charge more for the same thing with information, you just make more money. right? If I can get you to pay me $10 more for MSB, then I just make more. If I sell the same amount, I get more profit because I have no real heavy underlying cost of support. 
All right, so that's where he was coming from. And what he said about your price was, if your price doesn't make you at least a little bit uncomfortable, it's too low raise your price until you feel uncomfortable. And your market will always accept you putting the product on sale, but they're going to be really hesitant to accept you raising the price. So make sure you price high in the beginning. You can always go down. It's a lot harder to go up. Solid advice. What does that have to do with everything we're talking about today? You know those ten problems? If none of them seem too big for you to solve them, if none of them make you uncomfortable putting them on that list of your problems you're working on, raise your standards. You need at least one that when you say you're going to do it, you, you, you go, I, I, I'm not totally comfortable saying that. Right? If you have a big ego like me, I have like a, I have a weird day. I have like a, I'm humble and a big ego at the same time. It's, it's a weird thing. But, you know, if you have like this incredible belief that yes, I can, you may have a hard time finding something like that. But you should. You should. You should have something that you just, remember I talked about with our, our sponsor today, Western Botanicals, their goal to put an herbalist in every home. That is the hurdle on the track that you'll never clear. But every time you try to clear it, you're, you're, you're going to be able to clear one a little bit higher than yesterday until you reach an actual limit, a real limit, not a self-imposed limit. And, and that is what I'm talking about here. Because let's say that you know Randy over at Western Botanicals takes that goal seriously, and I believe that he does. Well, every day then, at least at some point, his brain is saying, how do I put an herb, how do I actually do this? How do I get an herbalist in every household? And even though he'll never get an herbalist in every household, he'll make more herbalists than if he didn't have that goal. So when you set a goal that seems like it's too big, you give yourself a problem that seems like it's too complex. The pieces of it that you do solve will get used, incorporated with other problems. Or maybe it will make you closer to reaching that goal, and therefore that's enough. If we did it just with, I don't like numeric value in this, but it's a good way to explain this. So if, if you made a goal, I'm going to become a billionaire, right? And ten years later, you're worth five million dollars. Right? You have, you have fallen short of your goal by $995 million. Okay? Did you fail? Really? Did you? You went from, let's say, being worth like almost nothing to $5 million net worth in 10 years. Did you fail or did you do better than most people will ever do? See, I think having that billion dollar goal might be the why you failed yourself into being a multimillionaire. And again, I don't really like to do it numbers, but that's what I'm, that's the, 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 the concept I'm trying to get out to you. Because whatever that goal is, it's going to be personal. It's going to be, so telling you some goal I'm trying to, to accomplish won't really help you. I'll give you one though. I'm trying to think, how do I create a global religion that gets around a lot of what the government wants us to have to do? It's not actually a religion, but it is a religion, according to them, because we'll call it that. And how many things can we then, and how many millions of people, if I did this successfully, could, could do 
there would be new liberties reclaimed because of this. Will I ever do that? I don't know, but I think about it. I thought about it this morning while I was listening to a podcast about DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, and I never thought of setting up a church or a religion or a faith, call it what you want to, as a DAO. And I never thought that a DAO was a way to do this, but I do now. And when I was listening to this guy talk about decentralized autonomous organizations, he had no intent that I would think that thought. And I, if I didn't have that goal in my mind, I would have never had that thought. DAOs are for running companies and giving people voting rights and control and basically allowing people to invest and allowing people to make money in a way that if you did it with conventional corporations in our modern day and age, you would go to Club Fed and a DAO is a loophole to avoid that. What else can we do with a DAO? Can we make a DAO church? Can we maybe do something that lets people spend cryptocurrency without tax consequences? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. One of my ideas was back to when Virtual Nations first came out of my radar in 2014. What if you bought your way into a place like this or you bought currency, but the currency created itself when you bought it and you had to buy it with something like Bitcoin? And it was always held. And, you know, without a DAO, this doesn't really work because back in 2014, when I didn't know what DAOs were and they really weren't evolved very much yet, I didn't know how to do this, but I had this idea would be basically like a vending machine. You go put $100 worth of Bitcoin in there or a $500 worth of Bitcoin into this machine and it, it, it mints tokens at a fixed exchange rate with Bitcoin, not the dollar. Well, now you know what the token's worth because it's backed by a Bitcoin and you could just basically stick the, the, the token, the Libertas Church token back in the vending machine and it'll spit the equivalent amount of Bitcoin back out. It's back and forth swappable, but no one gets the Bitcoin. It's just held in a reserve for the church. It's run by a DAO that nobody owns, that nobody can pay taxes on because they don't exist. And the token exists exclusively for commerce between members and our religion says that we can't pay tax on our own exchanges with each other. And there is no dollars. Does it work? Probably not. But I got all that as an aside from a podcast about using DAOs to restructure a service called Shapeshift. And I got more. I'm not going to go in anymore because it doesn't really matter. Because it doesn't matter if it works. What matters is now my brain's doing this. And now, just because we had this discussion today on the podcast, my brain's going to do more with this. Will I ever do it? I don't know. I'll do something, maybe. But I'm going to work on it. I'm not going to write it off as it can't be done. And I don't have to sit and think about it like a monk chanting and steaming off my back in the snow for 12 hours a day for my mind to work on it, and you don't either. If anything I said that I do with this seems like, well, that's something Jack can do, not something I can do. Stop. That's a negative thought. Reprogram it right now. I can learn to do what Jack does. In fact, I probably can be better at it than he is. That's what you need to think. How can I be better at it than Jack? Give yourself the same command that you would want to use it for. How can I be better at this? How can I get this into my mind? How can I think this way? Because I don't know. I don't know how you can. You're not me. I'm, I fully admit my mind is weird. It's different. 
I do have a high IQ. I'm incredibly creative. I'm incredibly motivated. Not everybody's like me. Good. Be freaking, we'd all be killing each other if we were all the same. It wouldn't matter if we were all like you or we were all like me. You ever notice that sometimes when you meet somebody and they're almost exactly like you, you don't get along? You ever notice that? When you meet somebody that's a lot like you, you usually get along really well. But when you meet somebody that's almost a clone of you, then you see everything good and bad in them, including all the bad, and you know the bad intimately because you know your own bad intimately. So it's good that we're different. But we need to acknowledge that difference and say this is a, a, a set of principles that can be implemented by anybody, but everybody's going to have to find their own way to implement it. Well, the first step in that implementation is ask yourself, how do I do this? How do I do this? What works for me? Would writing it down be better or would just saying it be better? Would writing down a list of ten things to the, and then reading it to the point where it's memorized and then once it's memorized, throw it away and just do it mentally? What, what works? I don't know. I do know, again, this process will run in your mind because it's how the human mind works. And you either harness it for good or it will absolutely work against you. With that, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, you want to help support us in the work that we do, remember one of the ways you can always do that is just do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Start your shopping there. No matter what you buy, you will help the show, me, my family, the work that we do, all of it. Um, I usually have an item of the day. Today, I don't. What I have is an announcement of what's going on on Amazon with Anchor. Anchor is my favorite electronics and technology value brand. What do I mean by a value brand? I mean that you look at, for instance, They're, they're not on sale today, by the way, before I say this, but it's just a good example. Let's say they're Bluetooth earbuds, and you look at Apple AirPods, and you say theirs are as good or better than Apple AirPods. Apple AirPods are $150, and the Bluetooth earpieces from Anchor are $40. So when I say value brand, I mean that they're bringing you technology that's as good or better than big-name competitors for far less money. They have a shitload of stuff on limited time deal of the day today. Here's a couple of the things they have. They have the upgraded Anchor Boost Super uh, Boost uh, Bluetooth speaker. I love that thing. The Anchor uh, Jump Pack uh, thousand amp uh, for uh, jumping cars like a car starter. It will jump up to six liter diesels. Um, a solar charger, three USB port solar charger, foldable panel. Really great piece of kit. Uh, they have their six-foot premium nylon-coated lightning cables on sale today. I think two of them for $14. Bucks. That's an example of value brand. Like, you go buy an Apple cable. It will never last as long as theirs, and you'll pay more for one of the Apple cables than for two of these. Um, the the Soundcore 3 Bluetooth speaker, this is a titanium diaphragm driver one. It's just, like, one of the best-sounding speakers on the market. That's on sale today, way marked down. And on the speakers, the little 12-volt speaker I brought you guys like a year and a half ago, the ones that pair with each other and all, they're not on sale, but they're on renewed for $10 off. So $29, bucks, they are a hell of a deal. I have a set of those. I love them. And they're, they're durable. Friggin', I left one sitting on Dorothy's Outback. It fell off, and she drove over it, and it still works. I don't advise you try that. I'm just saying it, it was in dirt. It wasn't on... Uh, pavement and it, it, you know, it gave a little, but I mean, it caved in the screen and all. I'm probably going to buy one of the renewed ones because it doesn't sound as good, but it does still work after being driven over by an Outback. 
Yeah, it wasn't a truck, but I don't want to get driven over by now. But check out the stuff that's on sale today. I have a link, I have a link to all the items I mentioned in the write-up today. I also have a link that goes straight to uh, all the items on sale on Amazon, the deals from uh, Anchor today. Um, but as long as you start your shopping at T-Spaz, no matter what you buy, you help us out and the work that we do. And again, if I recommend something, I own it, I use it, I've touched it, I'd buy it again, or I wouldn't recommend that you buy it. All right, with that, let's go ahead and, um, oh, I got to remind you, last day of the sale for MSB. If you want to be an MSB member, 30 bucks a year for life. Uh, tonight, midnight central time, the discount code will stop working, poof, like a fart in the wind. So if you want in on that sale price, Get it done today. Remember, I am the guy. I don't care if your dog ate your discount code. Uh, a, a sunset date on a sale is a sunset date on a sale. Either that or you don't have integrity. All right, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. I enjoyed doing Jimmy Buffett Week for a couple weeks, and I thought, let's do some stuff with some other artists uh, and play some of their stuff, maybe some of their really well-known stuff, some of their lesser-known stuff. And I decided this week to do Billy Joel. And I wanted to do that... Because the story I'm going to tell you that goes with this song fits well with the mental programming that we talked about today. Back when I was in high school, I had a teacher named uh, Dr. Sikavich. This guy was an amazing teacher. He taught so well that he actually got checked out by the school board. They thought he was giving too many A's to kids who didn't get A's in other classes. And it turned out that none of the people that checked him out were able to actually pass his test because they didn't have his class. And this guy's test where you'd have 20 terms, and then you had 20 other terms, and you had to match them. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Well, the thing is, there was no individual right answer. You could have literally made any connection you want. Now, you might run out of valid connections if you were too loose with this. But once you made the connection, you had to, within a sentence or three, explain the connection. Right? So, if you like, we're going to talk about who we didn't start the fire today. If, if there was Rosenbergs in one uh, side and H-bomb in the other, you might explain that the Rosenbergs were executed for giving away our secret nuclear secrets to the Russians. That would be a correct answer. You had to do it with all 20 terms. And this guy was amazing. He was like Rich Little. He could do impersonations and things like that. And it's so stuck with you that today I can tell you almost everything the guy ever taught me if you ask, like I can't recall he taught me this thing, but if you ask me a question that I learned from him, I'll probably remember the answer. And then when I do remember the answer, I'll remember it was from this guy. Because he had this way of connecting with people by using things like impersonations, uh, by being kind of a, a soft guy when it came to teaching. Like if you wanted to eat candy in his class or whatever, he didn't give a shit. He didn't care. You could eat. You could do it. As long as you paid attention and you did well on his test, he left you alone. He didn't have to be hard-ass because he was so good at what he did, He wanted you wanted to listen to him. And I remember when his song came out. I had him the year before this song came out. And all of my friends and I felt like we knew like 80% of what was in the song because of his class. And what was really interesting... This was the more interesting part. When there was something in that song that you didn't know, and this is before the internet, you had to go like to the library or whatever, you went and looked it up because having so much of the picture made you hungry for the rest of it. Now that has a lot to do with what we've talked about today. I do want to tell you a little bit more about the song, though, from Billy Joel himself when he was asked about writing this song. I see it a bit as a cop-out. 
I also see acknowledgement in the song that it's a cop-out. I always thought this was just like a really creative idea. To, to, to like take all this stuff and put it together in a song. You know, we didn't start the fire means we didn't do it, but it's here and it'll be here when we're gone, right? And it was just that. That's all there was to it. Turns out it came to him after he had a conversation with Sean Lennon, uh, uh, one of uh, John Lennon's sons. And he felt that all the things in this song that created all these problems that his generation, now he's 71 years old, so I'll get to that in a second, but the people that came before him created all this stuff that then he had to deal with and his whole generation had to deal with even though they didn't cause the problem. He didn't say anything more about it. As soon as I read that, I thought, wait a minute, dude, you're 21 years older than I am, and I was around for some of this shit, especially for the last verse. And I think that's the acknowledgement that, yeah, you know, we didn't cause all these problems that we're dealing with today. The prior generation did. But we're causing problems that the next generation's going to have to deal with. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Okay.
Gene Richard Nixon back again. 